Welcome to Asian Book Club, where we highlight Asian and Asian American authors. We are your hosts, Jimmy and Sabangin. And I'm Stephen Park. And today we're doing our final read of Disorientation.、Mm-hmm. And in this book, one of the big themes that does come out is Ingrid's realization of who she is, but it also then leads her to her parents.、Mm-hmm. And she starts finding out more and more about her parents. To me, this was such an important piece in this story because it was so personal to the things that are going on with me right now. I have been looking to form a better bond with my parents just because I feel like I'm getting older, they're getting older,、mm-hmm. time is always limited. And so I currently live in a separate city and far enough away from my parents where I don't get to talk to them often. So last time I went back, I really try to sit down and have a conversation with them. I try to really not look at them as much as parents anymore, but people who have raised me. Totally. And I thought those were two completely different things. For sure, because growing up, we see our parents as the authority. We、mm-hmm. see them as people we need to listen to、mm-hmm. because they're the ones taking care of us.、Mm-hmm. And what are some of the ways that have made it difficult for you to be closer to your parents earlier on? So, one of the things was that. They weren't really humans to me. And、mm. so, on my most recent visit home, I had a chance to finally sit down with my dad and we chatted. And I told him that exact same thing that I didn't used to think of him as a human being because of the fact that he was always a parent to me. is I don't know if I'd say putting him on a pedestal or putting my mom on a pedestal, but it was that they were different figures, almost like they were different species than I was.、Mm-hmm. So, I put different expectations on them. I had. Different thoughts and expectations of what they should be doing and what their roles are. So, I think that separation in my brain of who they were from who I was、mm-hmm. was always a bigger limitation. For sure. So, during those conversations that I had with him, I really got a chance to sit down and talk to him. And one of the things I did was just ask him about his life, was trying to figure out how did he get to the point that he is. And、mm-hmm. This wasn't to say that my dad never told me. Like, he always mentioned the story of how they moved here from Korea. They had a certain amount of money,、totally. which wasn't very much. You know, he always told me that he had different jobs before he finally got into the profession that he just retired from. And I knew these stories, but when I finally had him break it down, I realized how many gaping holes were missing. It seemed very much like Ingrid's story, where she started finding out more about her dad and more about her mom. And she was like, Oh, I didn't know you did this or this.、Right. And that's exactly how I felt with my parents. And it started to make me realize why my parents moved to America, what the reasoning was, what the purpose of them pushing me so hard was, what their goals were. And it started to make me feel like I understood them as. Individuals and maybe started breaking down that boundary so that maybe I can start seeing them as friends. Totally. When I think about my relationship with my parents, I have had a different experience. I grew up with my parents and my family all together, including my siblings, as my closest friends. Like we were the inner circle and no one else could penetrate that circle.、Mm-hmm. And As I grew up, it's kind of different now because it's complex. And by the time I was a teenager or even my preteen years, I started to think of my parents as adversaries.、Mm-hmm. And 
although things have changed, things are different now, we do talk from time to time, like very regularly. Mm -hmm. We FaceTime. We're not just in different places, but we are across the ocean from each other. Which does constantly remind me that they are getting older. I still need to keep in contact with them no matter Mm -hmm. what my boundaries are. And I appreciated how Ingrid made a concerted effort to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. And I can say that I think since being with you and seeing the relationship that you've had with your family, Mm -hmm. that was one of the things that started pushing me in the direction of realizing that parents didn't have to be parents. Like parents could be people that you have close relationships with. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not easy. And I am now 35 and it's taking me all this time to start putting away different traumas, not hiding them, but sorting them out and moving them in a position that might help me positively and then finally being able to sit down and truly have these conversations with my parents and being able to now hopefully grow a relationship that's no longer parent and child but family yeah but like i said it's not easy Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of work and effort i worked with a therapist to even just work to getting to this point Mm -hmm. but there's a great resource that might start bridging that gap if you're looking to introduce this idea and this concept in your life. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be our recommendation for the week. So our recommendation for the week is called Parents Are Human. It's a bilingual card game for deeper conversations with your loved ones. And it comes in 15 different languages, including English, Tagalog, Korean, Spanish, and so many more. As the CEO, Joe J. Lam says, this is your reminder that life is short. Call your parents. I received my deck through a giveaway hosted by Asian Glow Up, shout out to them, during APAM, Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Have I used it yet? No, but I will. So mom, if you're listening, get ready for that. Mm -hmm. So learn more about Parents Are Human through their website at parentsarehuman.com and on Instagram at parentsarehuman. Yeah, and that is our recommendation for today. Okay, so this is our last read of Disorientation by Elaine Shi Chu. Mm-hmm. We have gone through four reads that have all been increasingly intense. Yes. And what do we know up till this read? So, in our previous read, we learned that Vivian Vo gets featured on Gazette for her expose mm-hmm. of Xiao Wenchu, but we know that Ingrid is the one who created the website and did this. Mm-hmm. We also found out that Ingrid meets with John Smith, who is supposedly siding with them on the Dofo Wars. He is, at the time, as far as we understand it, Helping Ingrid take down Dofo. Yes. And finally, we also are reminded that Stephen is an a-hole to Ingrid. Mm -hmm. So this read starts off with what I think was a very brilliant way of putting us inside of Ingrid's thoughts without taking us out of the story. Mm -hmm. And so where we start is Ingrid is the one on trial. Yes. And she's having this fever dream. Mm Mm-hmm where Vivian is defending Ingrid and Alex is kind of defending Steven. Mm -hmm. And on top of all of that, 
Margaret, the archivist, is overseeing this as the judge. Mm-hmm. And within this, we're seeing Ingrid look back at her past experiences and what got her up to this point, which included her mocking and making fun of the only other Asian person when she was in elementary school Mm -hmm. and all the build-up relationships to who she was dating, which was primarily white men. And there's a point where Ingrid is ruminating on her own thoughts Mm -hmm. and she is trying to figure out why she prefers white men over Asian men. And Mm -hmm. what she says is, I guess in some way it made me feel less Asian to be with a white man. If I was with an Asian man, then my Asianness doubled. But if I was with a white man, the hero, who everyone in the universe looks up to, then I couldn't be the villain. His whiteness could protect me. What did you think about the way that Ingrid had explained this? It reminded me of when she talks about her friends and why she gravitated towards the white friends that she had as mm-hmm. a young person. Mm-hmm. She used them as a shield in order to be part or at least try to be part of the dominant culture. Yeah, and as we've mentioned in past episodes, I've had this thought running in my mind of why did my female Asian friends tend to want to date white men and exclusively white Mm -hmm, men? mm -hmm. And the thing that I always thought of was that maybe it was just because they got tired of the standards you had to uphold with being in an Asian household, Mm -hmm. not only from your own parents, but from the parents of the significant other that you might be seeing. And so I thought that they might be trying to run away from those standards. Mm. But the way that it's explained here is very illuminating and it does make me think differently. Now, with the caveat that obviously not all Asian women feel this way. Right. It's not that Ingrid's story, also it's fictional, but Ingrid's story isn't the only story and the only reason why you would be more attracted to white men. Also... Not all attraction to a type of person is naturally a fetishization or the Mm -hmm. same. Mm -hmm. It could be varying by person to person. So not to make this a stereotype, but I thought the way that the author had put this focus was very brilliant. Definitely. And Stephen and his defenses were shot down multiple times, if not by Ingrid, but by Vivian. And in this sense, it was kind of like Vivian was speaking through her at this point. Right. And even something that you had mentioned in the last episode, where you had said that you didn't believe that an Asian woman could fetishize a white man, Mm -hmm. was something that Vivian had addressed. And she said, any fetishization of white men or women could only happen if they had not colonized, enslaved, raped, bombed, and incarcerated the majority of the world. A white fetish could only exist if we had done that to you. So... I think you and Vivian have very similar thought processes within all of this. Absolutely. It's all about the power and the power imbalances. And speaking of power and power imbalances in court, the irony of reading this chapter was that we were listening to it while sitting in a jury room serving for jury duty. Right. We had some extra time because we were sitting there waiting to be called into an actual courtroom. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was kind of funny that we were doing that while listening to this fake trial go on. Yep. After Ingrid wakes up from this fever dream in court, the first person she runs to and wants to talk to, interestingly enough, is Alex. Right, which makes me think that this court had 
spurred something within Ingrid, something of wanting to change. Yeah, like even though she might not have been completely broken up with Steven, and she's still waffling between the idea of breaking up or staying with him at this Mm -hmm. point, the dream court made her want to find out for sure. Right, and she wants to not only find out if she wants to stay with Steven, but maybe pursue a new interest. Exactly. She runs to Alex, and even though she's fumbling her words, even though his mind is off in this live game world, mm-hmm. she still blurts out that she wants to ask him on a date. Mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, unfortunately, though... He's taken. Yeah, by Jian. Right, which is kind of cool, because I had mentioned previously that Alex seemed to be the only character within this whole story that hadn't changed. Mm-hmm. But now he's included in people that change. Yes. Have been disoriented and have had a new view on life. So he's now dumped Tiffany, who was this white girl he was dating, that he said he might not even have been interested in. Mm-hmm. But now is dating Chien, which he also finds in the most, what I think, one of the most stereotypical Asian-American ways possible. Yep. Which is by going to church. Yes. I mean, I found many of my people at church. (laughs) I found Jesus. (laughs) So this obviously doesn't work out for Ingrid. Yeah. And neither does the relationship that she was trying to escape previously. Right. So in the previous read, we know that Stephen wanted space. They were living in two separate places. And Stephen, in this read, in this last read, comes back home and tries to woo Ingrid back. Right. But interestingly enough, Ingrid is no longer in the headspace of uncertainty. She is now seeing Stephen for who he truly is. An average person with average hair and average eyes and a smaller than average heart. Right. And I think at this point, we're seeing all of Stephen. We're seeing the character that he's become. Mm -hmm. And not only are we seeing it, but Ingrid has seen it. Yeah. Because he mentions that he is the most gaslighting, micromanaging, patronizing, manipulative person I have ever met whose need to dominate someone else is so pathetically obvious. It's textbook pathological. Mm-hmm. And for all the times that Stephen has in some way or shape called Ingrid crazy, mm-hmm. this is the time that Ingrid actually bites back and kind of calls him crazy. Absolutely. And so Ingrid breaks it off. Right. And the best response that we get, because Ingrid sends a text out to Eunice and her parents, but out of the three, mm-hmm. the best response that I think that she gets is from Bo, her father, Yes, who writes... And this is a quote. Good. I never liked him. <laughs> and let's not forget how she felt after giving Stephen back her engagement ring. Yes. I think she said that it felt like she had released a week of constipation. Which I think is very relieving. Yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> so that ends the story of Stephen and Ingrid. It's... Finally! Mm -hmm. And it seems to end, maybe not on the best note, but in a way that Ingrid could now continue on with her own life. Right. She can move forward. And one of the ways that she's going to move forward is by continuing to snoop on Michael with Eunice. Right. And while they were snooping, they're at Michael's office trying to find something that's incriminating 
and not coming up with anything mm-hmm. and so while they're wrestling through the papers Ingrid brings up Steven's fetishization and ends up flipping the spotlight on Eunice which Eunice is not happy about right and this ends up creating a big argument yes but I don't know if Eunice is necessarily upset about the spotlight being on her. Mm -hmm. I actually think it's the opposite because the conversation goes in the direction of Ingrid talking about Thad, which was Eunice's boy toy. Yeah. And Ingrid is talking about how Eunice is still fetishizing white men. Mm -hmm. But Eunice knows this. She's not oblivious to this. Right. She's very much aware of what she is doing. Right. And she feels like she has the power in this. So I don't think that Eunice is upset by that spotlight being on her. Mm -hmm. I think it's more of what she said, which is, I'm not seeing that anymore. If you had been paying attention to my life, then you would have known that. So I think Eunice is more upset that Ingrid hasn't been a good friend to her during this whole period, rather than the fact that she is a white person chaser or something. Right, white boy chaser. Yeah. So... Ingrid and Eunice are not talking to each other, but they're still on the hunt. Right. And they both find out separately that Michael and John were in cahoots this whole time. So even though they're not on speaking terms, Ingrid gets a phone call from Eunice asking her to quickly come to Michael's house. And this is where Ingrid overhears a top secret dofo specifically of professors meeting and actually sharing how they've known that Michael and John have been working together all along. Right. And on the other hand, Eunice has information as well. When Ingrid comes back home, Eunice shares and shows a box of receipts for eyelid tape, for foundation, for wigs, and on top of that, correspondence and notes on Zhao Wenchao's poetry. Right, that John Smith had actually written. Yes, exactly. So, knowing all of this, knowing that John Smith went on his apology tour, what was the purpose of it? Right, so John Smith and Michael have clearly been working together right so i'm wondering if maybe there was some cash flow or something being handed behind the screen or behind Mm. the curtain we also know through this story that comes out that michael has had so much control in john's life yeah and his production of xiao and chow to the point that maybe john wasn't a part of the creation of xiao and chow Or let's say he wasn't maybe the idea. Or he wasn't the mastermind behind Zhao Wenchao anymore. Right, because Michael had gone on from not only convincing the chancellor of the school, Mm -hmm. creating the East Asian Studies Department, and then hiring John Smith as Zhao Wenchao out to school. So the purpose of John and what he's doing here, I think it may be that he's just a puppet. Mm, like a smokescreen for all of this. Right. I think it's Michael that's much more devious and underhanded than we maybe thought that he could have been. Absolutely. And I also remember Ingrid mentioning that John Smith might just be in real life internet troll. Right. Exactly. So we don't really ever get the story of why John has decided to go along with this. Mm-hmm. Whether it's monetary, whether it's, like he said, just because he wants to get caught. Right. 
But what we do know is that all these papers that Ingrid now found is causing her to further go through this identity crisis that's right. continuing to be built up inside of her. Right, and it makes her recognize her marshmallow, quote-unquote, tendencies, that she's trying to fit in wherever she is molded into. Right, being squished into different spaces. Yes. And she also mentions about being poked and prodded by sticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. But on top of that, although she's recognizing her marshmallow tendencies, she's also starting to choose for herself. Right. And one way that she chooses for herself is during her defense of her dissertation. Right. Which originally she decides to go through with the original dissertation that she had planned. The one that she had been working on for eight years about Zhao and Chao's poetry. And the enjambment. The enjambments. But the lead up to her being on that stage and what occurs on that stage, I think, affects her greatly enough to get to the point of where we eventually get to. Right. She starts to rethink whether or not she should go through with Zhao Wenchao and her dissertation or to switch roles and just out Michael. Right. But as she is entering the auditorium, she is accosted by Michael. Mm -hmm. And Michael threatens her, telling her about talking to her parents and knowing where they live. And he even tells her that she needs to be a good girl, quote unquote. Right. Which is so gross. Right. So he's not only threatening her, but he's also threatening her family. Yes, exactly. Which brings her back to the marshmallow. Like, do I just continue to fit the mold in order to protect my family? Or do I try to change the way things are? Right. Which she does the former. At least when she gets up on that stage, Mm -hmm. she sees her parents. She sees Eunice. Eunice. She sees John Smith. She sees Michael, who's, like, not even paying attention. He's, like, on his phone. Yeah. But not only that, they've recently went through the change in auditorium, and now Eunice has filled this auditorium with, like, the POC caucus Mm -hmm. and different departments of, honestly, people of diversity. Mm -hmm. All there to support Ingrid for this dissertation. Yes. And while she's giving this dissertation, she's reminded of how people who do bad things don't always get the consequences that they need to have. Mm -hmm. But there's always one person who speaks up. And even if people don't listen, the point that they speak up is enough for her. Right. So after defending Zhao Wenchao for a few minutes... In this moment, she switches and she decides to be the person who speaks up. Right. In driving terms, some people call it a U-turn. Yes. The other informal way of it is called flipping a B. So so Ingrid flips a B. She ends up revealing all of the information that she has on Michael, on the school, Mm -hmm. the creation of the East Asian Studies Department, Xiao and Chao. Yep. And it does not look pretty no because everyone's riled up all the audience is shocked and angry at michael but michael in turn throws a tantrum he charges ingrid he tosses everything that's on the podium he takes the papers and starts throwing them away he also says this is a quote you think you can hurt me Exactly. He knows that he's got the upper hand here. He knows that even though there's this crowded room of people who are angry at him, 
When people are asking to call the police, he retorts that he's a friend of the chief of police. Go try it. Right. And not only that, but the security guards that are present, there are two of them in that auditorium. They are pretty much his little lackeys. They are, I think, blocking guard. Because what Michael is saying is that no one can leave the auditorium until he's ready to do so. Right. But Ingrid has the great idea to charge Michael and push him to the ground. Mm-hmm. I think she headbutted him to the ground. There we go. Yes, she headbutted him to the ground and starts to choke him to the point where he goes limp. Right. So this was a point where I thought we'd get some resolution. But instead, it becomes a point where... It's something that the author, Elaine, has done such a great job throughout the whole story. Mm-hmm. And it's bring up topics and discussions that aren't literally stated, but they're more shown through a visual expression. Exactly. Like the riot cops. Right. And so what we see is that as Ingrid is honestly choking out Michael, the officer comes and puts handcuffs on Ingrid then throws her to the ground to the point where her face hits it and a tooth comes out. Uh Uh-huh. She's bleeding, and then riot cops show up, and then they're creating this space and pushing back the audience of people that were in attendance for this dissertation. dissertation, Like, they weren't here for a protest. They're not here creating a scene. Exactly. And I think this was such a brilliant way of bringing up the topic of police violence and abuse of power and force Mm -hmm, exactly but the cool thing is the way that the crowd breaks through the riot cops Mm -hmm. is that margaret the bookkeeper the archivist comes in and does like three roundhouse Roundhouse kicks kicks and opens up the gates (laughs) and then that's what frees everything up yes but that was Ingrid's dissertation. Yes, and even though she's bleeding, she has one tooth missing, she's on the ground, she flips over, looks up at the sky, and is happy. Right, and this seemingly was the end of the story. Yes, as though she is now feeling the freedom to express herself. Right, and I thought this was a sense of a happy ending. Mm -hmm. It may not have been the happy ending that most stories get, but... We come off of that climax, and we find out a couple of things. So, let's go over the good things that we find out. Yes. In the epilogue, we find out that Ingrid no longer is pursuing her doctorate. So, instead of living with a bunch of people and scrounging for money, she's now living with her parents. Right. And by living with her parents, she is now able to mend her relationship with them. Even though there are rocky points, they're still growing together. Right. And on top of that, she's now working at the Waffle Dog Factory, where she finds joy. Right. She's finding time to figure out her next career move. Mm -hmm. She is giving herself space to figure out who she is, because for the past eight years... She's been one person expected to do one thing, which then leads her into one Another career. Another one thing, yes. Right. She is finding new friendships. She is hanging out with people that she normally wouldn't hang out with. Mm-hmm. And she genuinely seems happy. Yeah. 
At first, when I encountered this part of the story, I was a little surprised that her parents weren't pushing back because Ingrid is pretty lackadaisical and mm-hmm. not really focused. Mm-hmm. Because for most Asian households, you're required to find a quote unquote real job. However, my mind changed because I remembered a time when I needed a break from Portland and I went back home for seven months and pretty much did exactly what Ingrid did, finding my way, trying to see what made me happy and recalibrating. Right. So that's exactly what Ingrid's doing is not necessarily even trying to find a new pathway. She's just finding herself. Right. And finding her rhythm. Right. The parts of the ending that I wasn't as happy about, though, Mm -hmm. is one, Michael got off scot-free. Yeah. Even though we have all of this evidence that Michael had been colluding with John Smith and creating this Xiao Wen Chao character, Mm -hmm. that he had faked all this information to create the Department of the East Asian Studies, even knowing that he went on stage and pretty much attacked one of the students. Yes. None of the punishment ends up falling on Michael. And in fact, they even give him a year-long sabbatical. Yeah. Which felt very unfulfilling. Right. It felt more like they were rewarding him for bad behavior. Right. The second bad thing that happens, and I don't know if I'd really call it a bad thing, but it was definitely a plot twist. Right. Like a really hard plot twist. Right. Because what we find out is, as Ingrid is working at this waffle hot dog cone house she (laughs) is going we see different scenes of what she's doing at work Mm -hmm. whether it's the cashier whether it's restocking but at the very end she finishes up one of her tours and she's giving out these pins Mm -hmm. and as she's giving out these pins she notices one person in particular who's older has a white afro and comes up to her and is kind of slowly browsing through the pins and i think is described as much more of like a grandfatherly character. Yes. And at this moment, this person looks up, and the way it's written is that Ingrid sees three different faces. One of Xiao Wen Chao, two is John, John Smith, Smith, and then the third one is this person mm-hmm. with the afro. Mm-hmm. And it might be me jumping to conclusions, but usually when I think of an afro, I think of a black or brown person. Yep. So it makes me think that John Smith is now doing black or brown face. Yep. So after all of this, we still get John Smith alive mm-hmm. in the States, in Whittlebury, and continuing on with his very racist acts. Yep. He just can't stop. Right. How did you feel about the ending overall? Uh, honestly, I was like, really, John? Really? Mm-hmm. My feelings were that even though I was mad at John Smith, I wasn't mad at the ending. Yeah. It made me feel like Elaine did such a good job of presenting the world as it is. That sometimes we just can't stop the quote-unquote bad guys. Sometimes the injustices are still going to be injustices. Right. I agree. What Elaine did in this book and with this ending was that it seemed very realistic it seemed like a conclusion that would have possibly happened in reality. Yes. 
because most other authors would give us the ending of Ingrid becoming the next dean of students because mm-hmm. she took down Michael Bartholomew and the Dofo and it disbanded racism and mm-hmm. racism no longer exists in the world and everyone understands exactly how to move around people of different color and races <laughs> and ethnicities and diversities and mm-hmm. but we didn't get that. We no. got the white man who performed a lot of criminal acts faked a lot of things, created a, I'm going to say cult, mm-hmm. had things that happened that should have gotten fired but didn't and actually mm-hmm. kept getting promoted upward, mm-hmm. which sounds like a very specific orange character in our real life. Yes. And he is continuing to succeed. Yep. So the ending seemed suitable for the story that was told. Yes, exactly. How did you feel about the book as a whole, though? I felt that, one, the book's title is very fitting. Right. It's very disorienting. I feel like I'm in a topsy-turvy clown house many times. Right. Two, I feel like Elaine did such an amazing job of showing us all these things without making it feel like just utter chaos. Mm -hmm. And three, I would say that it lives up to the hype. Absolutely. And on top of the title being suitable, I thought the cover was very fitting. So Mm. things that I didn't notice until I read the book was that it's obviously a mess because everything's disorientation. But we see the Chinese vase. We see Mm. the hot dogs strewn around. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the papers are meant to be your dissertation. But also the... Lucidex pills. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, the Lucidex pills. No, I was thinking the dress, the school uniform. Because that was a part of when Ingrid broke up with Steven that she's like, you can't take this. This is going to be for me. Right. And so all these little details within the cover that I was just like, oh, that's a Sailor Moon dress because white guys like girls that dress up like Sailor Moon. Mm -hmm. But after reading the story, it all makes sense. Mm -hmm. I genuinely enjoyed this book. There were so many comedic moments. There were a lot of laughs in very serious situations. Each character played such a good role, and their characterization seemed very real. Yes. But I think my favorite part in all of this were all the topics that the author Elaine Shea Chu had brought up. Mm -hmm. There were topics that I had personally experienced, whether through a friend or through my own life, Like I said, with trying to create a better relationship with my parents, with the friends that I've had that have gone through the same interests, that have gone through the same relationship trends as Ingrid and only dating white men. And once again, me and my friends have been guilty of cheering on Asian guys who have dated Mm. white girls. So there were a lot of things in there as an Asian American and maybe just an Asian in America Yes, that spoke so directly to me that beyond the words and the stories and the really good writing of it all, mm-hmm. it was a story that felt very enlightening and mm. hit close to the heart. Absolutely. Would you recommend this book to anyone in particular? Everyone. Yes. Honestly, what I, I was thinking about this actually... And what I would want to do is I wish there was a tiny copy that I could have. Mm. Like those ones that are maybe the size of a quarter or something. Yeah, Yeah, like those kind of books. And I wish I could carry that in my pocket. And if I have a friend that I haven't seen in a long time or I see someone at a bar, I'm like, ooh, this relationship seems like it's white fetishization. (laughs) Like I wish I could just drop the book off to them and be like, 
this may be a good read for you. It may not fit you perfectly, but it may help you. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't be great to do. Obviously, it's not. Once again, not every relationship is going to be based on Ingrid. There's a lot of different reasons for why people date other people. Right. But sometimes I just didn't have the words for why. I thought it was weird that white guys dated Asian girls only. Exclusively, yes. Right. And this book really... Hit the nail on the head. Yeah, really hit the nail on the head and explained it out really well. Totally. How about you? Do you have anyone that you'd recommend? I feel like if you're my friend and you're listening to this, absolutely, you need to read this. Mm -hmm. And that kind of brings us to the end of the book. This was Disorientation by Elaine Shichu, but that also means that it's going to lead to our next book, which is going to be Jamei's pick. And I think y'all are going to like it. So, for our hint of gem, we're going to talk about three hints, and we're going to let Steven guess what our next book pick is going to be. Mm-hmm. So, hint number one, the book is a light romance novel. Mm-hmm. Hint number two, it's an enemies to lovers trope where two businesses that should have been a perfect match clash. Mm-hmm. And number three, the author describes herself as an author of sweet and sexy romances. Mm-hmm. So, with those three hints in mind, here are your choices. Is it A, Somewhere in the Middle by Deborah Francisco Douglas? Is it B, The Boy with the Bookstore by Sarah Ishavara Smith? Or is it C, Hollow Hollow by Justine Ramos? I'm going to choose B, because in B, there's all Bs. The Boy with the Bookstore. And it's correct! We are reading The Boy with the Bookstore by Sarah Ishavara Smith next. So, a little bit about the author. Sarah Echevar Smith writes to make the world a lovelier place, one kissing story at a time. She loves romance novels and writes no romance novels, and she is also Filipino American. Mm-hmm. And to give us a little taste of what the book is going to be like, here is the back cover. It says. When a baker meets the bookshop owner of her dreams and he turns her into her nemesis, they'll both have to read between the lines to avoid a career-ending recipe for disaster. Max Boyson looks good, from a distance, but up close and personal, the tattooed hottie Joel Prima has been crushing on for the past year and a half has turned into the prime example of why you shouldn't judge a book by his delectable cover. When she first learned about the massive renovation to the building they share, Joelle imagined that temporarily combining her Filipino bakery with Max's neighboring bookstore would be the perfect opening chapter to their happily ever after. In her fantasies, they fed each other babinka and pandasal while discussing Jane Austen and cooing over her pet hamster, Pumpkin. Reality, however, is quite different. Her gallant prince turned out to be a stubborn toad who snaps at her in front of customers dries his wet clothes in her oven, ew, and helps himself to the yummy pastries in her display case without asking. But beneath Max's grumpy glares, Joelle senses a rising heat and a softening heart. And when they discover the real reason for the renovation, they'll have to put both their business senses and their feelings for each other to the test. Nice. So... For anyone that wants to chime in with anything that we're reading, how can people reach us? 
Y'all can reach us through email at asianbookclubpod at gmail.com or you can comment on our posts at Instagram at asianbookclubpod. We also have our website, which is asianbookclubpod.com, which mm-hmm. also has our bookshop that shows the books that we've read and other books that we recommend. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, be happy, be healthy, and read a book. Ingat. Sorry, not by yet. It seems like editing error. I lost our recording that told us what chapters to read. So in this read, we're going to be doing chapters one through six of The Boy with the Bookstore by Sarah Echavari-Smith. All right, we'll hear you at the next read. Bye. Bye.